Welcome to Two For None, your favourite cricket comedy podcast. My name is Patrick Cullen and I'm your host. And with me is the man, the myth, the legend, CT Barty. Chris, we won another test and I was right for once in my life. It was indeed a shellacking. Pat, it was a shellacking. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. I'll tell you what. Um, about two thirds of the way through day two, I was feeling pretty good about my 3-1 prediction. I thought, geez, you know, I don't think this is going to be the draw. I was wrong about that. But I might be able to ride in here on my high horse and say that was the one. And I thought we were going to be talking about 2-1. Still a little bit to play for. You know, it's but still pretty I, interesting going into the fourth test. You were bona fide oh a nervous, my friend. On the group mm. chats, you were bona fide a nervous. You were yeah. sounding like the Poms were about to come back and roll us at any moment. You were, you were right there. Yeah. Yep. Look, I, I thought things were going really well. Jimmy Anderson had four for 33. And I thought, geez, that's one of the great days of test match bowling. That looks really good. Yep. That yep. W- the one, the one, it's going to happen. But then England proceeded to lose four for 31. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> and Unbelievable. All out for 67, thanks to a young man, a selection shock, Chris. A selection wow. shock that you and I did not see coming. We might have mentioned it on the last show, I can't remember. But Scotty Boland swoops on in, comes in off the bench, you know, not even a member of the original squad, comes in and takes six for seven, Chris. Six for seven! Yeah, what can you say? I mean, I, I, what can you say? I, I was thinking about it, you know, obviously yesterday and thinking, look, I've got a podcast coming up. I've got to have something original to say. I just have nothing. Like, I have nothing. It's unbelievable, Pat. It's, it's unbelievable. I, I don't think that in our wildest dreams that was possible. It certainly wasn't possible <laughs> in his wildest dreams. Yeah. Apparently, he's never even got that in, like, under 10s, Scotty. And he's 32 now. And, and just to add this, and Spinks, he's going to wax lyrical about it, I'm sure. But to have the second ever Indigenous male cricketer come in and make his debut at the SCG and be presented a medal, which is the belt mm. buckle from Johnny Muller, uh, yeah. who was the, you know, from the first ever tour, which was all Indigenous cricketers to the UK back in the 1880s. And and to have that sort of tie together at the end of this test, to have Scott take this incredible wish, bit of wickets and just absolutely route the palms, it, it was just incredible, Chris, top to toe. You know, it was cake and icing and cherry on top. Uh, and, and meanwhile, England is in a death spiral, Chris. They are circling yeah. the drain, mate. They are in a bad <laughs> way. <laughs> I tell you what, they're lucky they're England because that's the kind of game that loses your test status. I mean, that was... <laughs> wrong man you know, you're lucky you invented the bloody thing because that was bad it was bad it was bad there's no two ways about it the first yeah. things when they got diddled for 185 you thought geez that's bad that's bad but <laughs> that's no good they clawed their way back you know i think there was a you know we'll go through go through the innings at the moment uh, in a moment but there was a point in time where you know scores were relatively level uh i think the aussies were maybe six or seven down england you know if they could have restricted Australia to a, a 50 run lead and given the state of the pitch at the time you thought geez you know there could be a game here if they could set a total of 150 if they could at least if they could even match what they did in the first innings restrict Australia to 50 run lead and match with the 185 then they've got a 150 run lead which is going to be difficult to chase on that pitch mm. but they couldn't do it they just didn't have it. They just don't have it. <laughs> they just don't have it, Chris. They just don't have it. And, you know, as as I've been doing this whole series, I immediately dived into a swathe of British um, podcasts and TV shows mm. and reactions. And Chris, like, the vitriol is phenomenal. And, and you know what else, man? Like, we're getting really into this really early in the piece. We've got other stuff to talk about. But I just wanted to quickly say, do you remember in 2015, Chris, when Stuart Broad took eight for 15? Yeah. And absolutely rolled us. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Nathan Lyon, Mitchell Stark, David Warner, and Steve Smith. 
were players who were left over from that game. They all played in that and they all played in this. And it feels to me like this is somewhat of a cycle that cricket goes through. Sure. The difference is in the intervening time, we've had players come through who have filled the ranks. And what Mm. I'm hearing from English spectators, from fans and from commentators is that that same talent is nowhere near there in, in county cricket. So what English cricket looks like next Ashes series, what the team looks like and how they even bounce back for the next, you know, two tests is such a big unknown. And at this point, mate, if it's anything other than 5-0, I will be very surprised. Yeah, look, it is tough. I I can't see a way back. Uh, Well, there is a way back, but it's going to be long. You know, there's so many layers to this onion of failure, Pat. (laughs) Episode title, Chris. Episode title. Nice work. <laughs> the onion, the onion of failure. Episode sixty-seven. The onion of failure. Very good. Keep going. Yeah, but so the first layer of the onion of failure is the COVID thing, right? Mm. So with all the conversation about, look, it's been they've been in bubble after bubble. They've just transitioned from bubble to bubble. Mm. You know that's got to take some wear and tear. Fair enough. Absolutely. Yep, that's a thing. So, you, you kind of peel back that layer. And then they arrive in Australia into another bubble. And then all the pre-match gets rained Cancelled. Yep. And cancelled. No kind of preparation. Go, no preparation. And you go, yep, that's another layer. Fair enough. No preparation. It's all been white ball stuff. They've come from a T20 World Cup. Uh, I think some of the guys, you know, skipped that and went straight, to, went straight into the bubble. Haven't played any any longer forms of the game except for a couple of intra-squad games. Fair enough. That's another layer. Uh, they've had some injuries, so they haven't been able to pick their best uh, bowling attack in particular. Jofra Archer, Ollie Stone. I tell you what, I think I made the point during the week on the group chats that Jofra Archer on that pitch would have been boy. a nightmare. You know, nightmare, would have been a nightmare. Would have been quick a nightmare. credit, just while we're in the middle of the onion, quick credit to Matt Page for turning the MCG from the most yeah. docile, flat, nightmare, bloody batting paradise into a seamer's dream, Bardo, into a dream seamer. Anyway, mm. sorry, continue on. So we're on to no, absolutely. Three of the onion. Absolutely. So I think that there, there's another aspect to that there. What's inexplicable, and I think where we get to the heart, you know, we're, we're really getting to the core of the onion here, is the top six. Yeah. Right. There are two batsmen now. You know, I mean, I think we talked about Amid uh, being a, a potential quality test opener. I think he's probably been found wanting in the last, you know, last Agree, couple of innings. Mate. Yeah. So I think there is something there. There's certainly a, a quality cricketer there. You know, whether he's a test match level opener yet to be determined. But I think we get to the heart of the matter when we start looking at that top six. You know, Joe Root's an amazing batsman, right? He's an amazing Incredible. batsman. There's no doubt. Yeah. And I actually think he batted pretty well in this test as well. He's got a 50 in the first innings. Um, I thought he's 23 in the second dig, um, you know, looks pretty good. Uh, and he just sort of um, copped a bad one. Well, no, it wasn't even a bad one, was it? He just kind of... I think he wafted it one outside off stump from memory. Yeah, I mean, it was a really um, good ball, but, you know, yeah, going. Yeah, so then we get to the heart of the matter. And then we look at, okay, so why is the top six so bad? Um, and the simple fact of the matter is that it looks as though England has really prioritized white ball cricket um, over the past five years mm. to the detriment of county cricket. And they really, from what I understand, can't figure out when to schedule county cricket. Yeah. Um, so that there's no the reason why there's no one coming through or there's no one underneath the uh, the trap door as it were to replace these guys that are underperforming is because the infrastructure is not there to create the players that they need it just doesn't and exist interestingly Chris on 2015 that was the year that Stuart Broad took 8 for 15 against us right and absolutely rock and rolled us England mm. won that Ashes comfortably but they got bundled out of the World Cup so clearly they were looking at their teams in 2015 and being like righto our problem our test cricket great yeah. no work is there let's work on white ball and mate the elastic band has snapped the other way and how it has snapped Chris hooly freaking dooly yeah it's it's real bad. I mean, there's no one there's no one there. You know, there, there's there's 
I think we've covered on previous podcasts, you know, there's, there's really no one averaging over 40, which, as you know, Pat, that's my magical number. If you want to play Chris. test match cricket, I need you to be averaging over test, uh, over 40. And because yep. there's no one there, essentially what they've had to resort to, the, the selectors or selector or whoever's picking that team, yeah. I, I don't know how that works. You know, that's an, another another layer to the onion. And, now. mate, he's, he's just been named as a close COVID contact. The coach, Chris Silverwood, who's the only selector yeah. for the English men's side, is now a close COVID contact, has to stay in Melbourne for 10 days, while his team that has just been rickrolled has mm. to go to Sydney and face Australia again without their head coach. Oh, far out. Sorry, continue. So, look... What I think is there's a couple of things. One is they have to decide, is this a priority? And then two, how are we going to balance this to make sure that we are getting enough Red Bull cricket happening um, and um, you know creating conditions uh, that will prepare their, their players for the games that are upcoming? So if they decide, look, no, it's not a priority. We're going to focus on white ball cricket because that's where the money is. That's fine, but you're going to suck for a long period of time. Yeah, um, and it's exactly what forever. happened in the Caribbean, Chris. You know, it's exactly what happened in the West Indies. Um, you know, coming out of the late 2000s, they had this one great batsman in Brian Lara and a couple of great bowlers in Walsh and, and you know, a couple of other blokes knocking around. And they their teams ended up prioritizing white ball cricket and their test teams suffered for a really long time. And it's only just sort of starting to come mm. together. And we're in a similar situation here. We've got Broad and Anderson and Joe Root and around them, players that are not of the same quality by a long margin. Ben, don't be wrong. Ben Stokes. We talk about Ben Stokes every week. He's the guy. He's the absolute mm. guy. And there's, there's, you know, he can do magical stuff. But at the end of the day, his his technique and his his method of scoring runs is still a cut or two below Joe Roots. They're in trouble, mate. They're in they're in Barney rubble, as you and I would be so prone to saying. Yeah, absolutely, mate. They are in big strife. Big strife. I think the only thing that they can do, for me, it's a, it's a scheduling issue, right? So they've got to figure out when are, when are they going to play county cricket? What's it going to look like? You know, how are we going to fit everything in? Um, you know, if they're going to proceed with the this idea of the hundred, which I mean, to me, not to sound like a crusty old man, Chris, but it's an abomination. It's <laughs> stupid. It. it sucks. It's so um, bad. It's made them... They gave themselves... The ECB gave themselves bonuses this year. The executive got millions of dollars in bonuses for the amount of cash money they raked in because of the 100. Like, good on them. But also, you put those players anywhere in any kind of league and people are going to come and watch it. It's not because of your stupid five ball overs, ECB. It's because of the players that are there and the skill they have. Honestly, Chris, we could rant about it for ages. I, I, any last quick point to put a tail on this, mate? Because I want to talk about this Ireland-USA um, game before we go back to the Ashes in detail. Yeah, look, look I think the thing for me, as I said, it's a scheduling issue. And I come back to this concept of you can do anything, but you can't do everything. So they've somehow got to figure out, um, you know, what are our priorities? How are we going to make it happen? I think what we're going to see come out of this is more likely specialization of players. I think for me, cricket is becoming a little bit more like motor car racing. Mm. So there's lots of different forms of motor car racing. You know, you've got your Formula One, your Formula NASCAR. Two, your Formula E, your NASCAR, your IndyCar, rally. your V8s, your rallies. Sure. So all variations of the same sport. And I think we're starting to see that with cricket. Clearly, cricket's a game that you can adapt easily um, to fit certain conditions. And I, I think we're going to start seeing more specialization. Um, and I think that that's the only way that you're going to be able to fit everything in and start to have some of this, this stuff overlap. Now, I think the challenge for the ICC and the ECB, should they want to do this, is to find a way to make sure that test cricket still remains the pinnacle. You know, it's still the Formula One of um, cricket. You know, you might have a T20 being played in Christchurch, but if the Kiwis are playing um, at Lords, that should be the one that everyone's tuning into and paying attention. You know, I, I think that's the key for me. 
Agree, Chris. Agree. Speaking of 2020, uh, let's just have a quick little dip into this before we go into the ashes in detail. Um, Chris, there's been a very fun series of T20s, which have sadly just been cancelled, I believe, due to COVID. But two 2020s have been played with the USA and Ireland, our old friends in the Irish cricket team. And I thought it would be fun if we just like had a quick look at these scorecards uh, and, and found some joy in it. It's been tight. B-Trade. It's been tight. The USA won the first game. The Irish have won the second. Um, a fellow with a brilliant name of Lorcan Tucker, who I think is, you know, sounds like the lead character in a fantasy novel, um, bloody smashed himself at 84 with the bat in this uh, particular game. That's in the second T20, I think. And the first, the Americans won it. Um, you yeah. know, they had some lower order runs. How exciting is that, Chris? Ah, oh, brilliant, Pat. How good is it for cricket? You, you know, you probably would have expected the Irish to roll um, the US. So the fact that they've put up a competitive performance uh, and, and taken some points away um, is really great for USA cricket and, and it's great for world cricket. You know, and look, as much as I've just spent the past 20 minutes bemoaning shorter form games of cricket, what I think it is really good for is bringing in some of the newer nations uh, in, into the game and, and building the profile uh, of, of, uh, of cricket. And look, wonderful to see. I think in that first test, uh, sorry, first test, your first uh, T20, you see the US make uh, some uh, good scores, 188 for six, uh, with guys like Madani and Singh, you know, 50 runs and 65 runs respectively. Um, and then doing some really cool stuff with the ball too. I mean, a couple of guys taking Tufa, Ali Khan, um, I can't pronounce the first guy's name. <laughs> you got two for but 26, though. That's not too bad. Two for 26. Four. I'm going to have a go. I'm going to say Sharav, Sharav Netravaka. Oh, good close? one, Chris. That sounded good. That sounded good okay. to me. We'll get some, some mail, I'm sure, putting us on the straight and narrow there. But, you know, bloody good on him. And I also wanted to mention a bloke called Barry McCarthy, who opened Whoa. the bowling there for the Irish, who sounds like not only could he come out and trundle in and, and bowl some heat, Chris, but he could also probably change your windows. He could really come in and do yeah, a, a good job. <laughs> of, of McCarthy's panel and paint there, I think it would be... I feel like you could put Barry in charge of the barbecue. I feel like you could. I feel like there's a name like Barry McCarthy. Um, I wonder if he's got a headshot up there. I'm going to have a quick Google at him. Oh, look, he's a strapping fella, Barry. If he came around to fix my windows, I'd be stoked about it. I reckon he could flip a steak. He knows a thing or two, Chris. Um, You know, and he's he's pretty solid with the uh, the old ball there. He's got some best Mm. bowling figures of four for 35 for 46 in um, ODIs. So, you know, he's no mug, Chris. Average is 29 with the ball. Big Baz. He's my new favourite guy. Yeah. So, look, it's all happening. I think some great res- good result there for the US. Uh, looks as though the Irish have had some sort of a tune-up. They now, of course, go on to play uh, the West Indies in some shorter form games, I mm. believe. I don't know if they're playing a, a test match. I don't think so. Um, so, that'll be a real test for them. I mean, the US have clearly been a, cha- a challenge, but I think um, the measure of the Irish progress... Um, will be how they perform against the traditional cricketing nation in the West Indies. So I look forward to kind of keeping an eye on that, Pat, as we move forward throughout the summer. Totally, Chris, especially given, as mentioned, the West Indies are a powerhouse short-form side. That'll be a very good test for the Irish. Um, Just on the West Indies quickly too, if you're a West Indies fan and you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking to yourself, I could do that, the truth is you probably could, um, but we'd also love to have you on the team. We really need a West Indies correspondent, so shoot me an email, uh, Sydney, G-I-N-G-E-R-S-N-A-P Sydney, all one word, at gmail.com. It's in the bloody... Um, it's in the episode description. Jump on board. Get into it. That's all I have to say. Um, Bardo, let's dive mm. into some ashes, shall we? Do you want to hear from our Aussie correspondent, Alexander Spinks, or would you like to hear of a very sad Tom K. Hawkey from England? Look, I think we need to eat our vegetables here, Pat, and I think we've, we've got to dive into Tom. Look, I feel like he's going to have some insight for us, uh, and we're going to sift, sift through the wreckage uh, just one more time. Uh, before we move on to the jubilation that will no doubt be Alex Spinks. Sounds great, mate. Here he is, our English correspondent, Tom K. Hawkey. (laughs) Everybody's doing musical introductions. Hey there, Tom K. Hawkey here with your broken-hearted bulletin from a Brit. 
Firstly, a huge congratulations to Australia. Whilst England have largely been hitting the self-destruct button, it has to be said that Australia have also played some sensational cricket and have displayed the squad strength and depth that England can only dream of. We all know that the Ashes got their name from a mock obituary in 1882 after Australia won their first ever test on England soil. That obituary stated that English cricket was dead and the body will be cremated and the Ashes taken to Australia. Well, 139 years later, and English cricket is deader than ever before. I've been following Test cricket for 20 years now, and this is the worst team I can recall. Oofed. The wonderful armchair statisticians around the world have come up with a thousand different metrics to measure just how bad England are playing. Take your pick from the following. England tied the record for the most ducks in a calendar year. 54, one for every card in the deck, including the jokers. The team they tied that record with? Themselves, back in 1998. In 2021, England lost nine tests, another record national performance, and tying the world record with Bangladesh. Oh. England's 68 was the lowest innings on Australian soil since 1904. That's 117 years ago, and 10 years before World War I broke out. Australia's 82-run lead at the halfway stage of the match is the third lowest en route to an innings victory. England lost this series in 12 days of cricket. That's two fewer days than the 14 they spent in quarantine. It's been 4,010 days since England last won a test in Australia. And since then, we've had Obama's second term, Trump's first term, and a whole year of Joe Biden. And the third best batsman for England this year was extras, with 412. Oh, hold up there, TK. Hold up there. Chris... What a damning series of statistics there from Tom. That is painful to hear. Oh my word! It's rough. It's it's rough. There's no 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 two ways to slice it, is it? Uh, as we said, it's been an onion of failure, and Tom <laughs> has just helped us to expose some of the eye-watering layers to this thing. Um, oh. They've got some work to do. They're they're looking up. That's <laughs> you know. Um, I mean- that's. That's the only way to describe it. They are on the bottom, but they are looking up. I mean, I guess, I guess, Chris, but we've said that before in this very test series. We've said things can't get much worse for England, and somehow they have. And and you've got to... <laughs> you've you know got to you hope this you know is the think, bottom. You know what I think is, in that team, we have some pretty reasonable shorter-form players. You know, we've talked about the likes of Bairstow, Butler, Stokes is, you know, a good shorter-form player. If you're going to get out in 30 overs anyway, you may as well try and score at six or seven and over. You know, you Chris, know? as we used to say in the Fremantle Mosman Pyrex ninth, 10th grade team, have a swing in your mug, you know? Yeah. I think it's the only way to go. I just think, you know, they may as well just play their natural game because aside from jo- Joss Butler's, um, you know, attempt to salvage a draw, which was admirable, um, they really haven't spent a lot of time at the crease. And it doesn't look like, you know, trying to play defensively is going to solve that problem. So why not just play some shots? And let's see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, Chris, you couldn't be more right. 54 ducks. Chris, 54 ducks. That's, oof, jeez. Oh, jeez. 4,000 days without a win. <laughs> That's so tough. That's so that, tough. You know, that, that spell is so dry. You know, even I need a glass of water. Like that. <laughs> There are literally deserts in Australia that have seen rain yeah. faster than that. Far out. So, on to the two dead rubbers. England's plan of replacing an out-of-form opener with an opener who hasn't played cricket in three months proved to be just about as stupid as we all thought it would be. However, I guess at least they tried something different. So just in case the England selectors are looking for further ideas and are listening to this podcast... Here are five things I think England should do to win the remaining two tests. Number one, demote the openers to numbers 10 and 11. (laughs) Look, when you open the batting, there's no pressure, right? You get out cheaply, so what? There's still nine more partnerships to come that can save you. We need Burns and Hamid to be our last wicket pair, so they're pressured into at least trying to play a defensive shot or two. Number two, diversify. Clearly, we have no squad depth, and Ollie Robertson showed in the second test that he's got some hidden spin skills up his sleeve. So, next test, let's try him out with the gloves. 
get Butler and Pope to open the bowling, and sure, why not? Let Rory Burns be the captain. Number three. Hold up, Tom. Um, it was one of my favourite things to do in band practice, Chris. Um, I played mm. in a lot of bands over my life, mm-hmm. and one of my favourite things to do is uh, swap instruments. You know, I move from guitar to bass, bass sure. player moves to the drums, singer goes and, and plays some guitar. Everybody changes around. It's a fun time, Chris. It reinvigorates you as, as a musician, I think. So mm. I think there's some real potential there for England. Uh, I'd love to see Joss Butler opening the bowling, pulling same up, Chris. Get him in. You might just find something. You don't know. You might just find something. <laughs> It can't get much worse. It's got to be said. Play Root in disguise. Oh. Once Root gets out, just have him walk off the pitch, change his jersey to a different number, and come back out wearing a comedy false moustache. The brazen audacity might stun the umpires just enough to have them allow it. Number four. Lie to the players. As they head out to open the batting, tell them the match has been reduced to a T20 game instead. Yeah, they'll probably hit their highest total of the series inside 20 overs. It's exactly what you're calling for, Chris. That's it's exactly I, what you're calling hey, for. Hey, great minds. Great minds. Number <laughs> five, try a bit harder. You know, play like the professionals they're supposed to be. Thank you, TK. A pleasure, my friend. And, you know, Chris, I've seen a couple of um, reports recently. I've obviously been watching a lot of British content and uh, people have been saying to their Australian people on these shows, um, aren't you feeling bad about beating a team that's just so bad? Surely you can't find this satisfying. Um, To which I say, uh, no, I am finding it very satisfying. I I will always love rolling the pomps. But there is a small part of me, Chris, a tiny part on my insides, which is feeling a bit sorry for him. Just a touch. Yeah, look, I think that probably the biggest insult to this whole thing, if you're an English fan or if you're an English cricket player, is that, look, try as we might that, we are reasonably parochial on this podcast. Oh, completely, Chris. Yeah. Completely parochial, I'd say. Yep. But we've dedicated several minutes to trying to figure out how to help the opposition. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that that's the worst part. You know, in t- I've seen entire mobs of one-eyed Australian supporters dedicate hours of pouring through news articles, of coming up with solutions to try and help the English so that they can be vaguely competitive. Uh, I-, I think that that's got to be the worst part of all of this if you're mm. an English supporter. Um, you-, you know, the big enemy, you know, the ones that sandpaper the ball... Um, are trying to help you um, to win uh, a game of cricket. That's that's the worst part. How, however, um, to say that we haven't enjoyed it um, would be wrong. Distinctly inaccurate, Chris. Uh, it's, I'm sorry. Uh, it's been wonderful. It's been all parts of it have been great. Look, the last uh, Scott Boland. Scott Boland. Uh, Scott Boland. Give the man that, a statue. That second day, you know, I think, you know, I'm, I have no doubt that Spinks will talk about it, but that second day, when Mitch Stark was on a hat trick oh. and Shane Warne is complimenting Mitch Stark. Yeah, wow. That's the turnaround. You know, you just thought, I was on the edge of my seat. And then he bowled an absolute peach, which should have oh, taken goodness. a wicket. It's like, unbelievable. That's what <laughs> got to be one of the best balls never to take a hat trick. Un- what a- Unreal. And then you think, geez, that was exciting. That was exciting. <laughs> surely, surely they'll just get themselves through to the end of play. Oh, no. Oh, no. On comes Scotty Bolton. Unbelievable. Yeah, incredible. Incredible. I mean, when he nicked off Hamid, I lost my ever-loving mind. Oh, I, I, yeah. I lost it, V-Train. Like, I was, I was all over the joint. Let alone when he got that ball... To seam back and hit the top of Jack Leach's off peg, the night watchman, yeah. it moved three foot, Chris. It, well, <laughs> it, it moved a know. bloody mile. You'd need a compass. You could track it from outer space. It was absolutely off the chain. Poor old Jack Leach would need to go to Poor university and do his masters to learn anything about that delivery, Chris. Sensational. <laughs> that was, it's got to be said, that was one of the worst night watching performances. <laughs> Two balls. (laughs) Two balls. And the first ball, he nearly got bowled. The ball bounced (laughs) over the stump. Like He he played a shot, hit it, and the ball bounces over the stump. I mean, you compare that to Nathan Lyon's night-watchy performance uh, the day before, 
as chalk and cheese. So really, they've been outplayed in every conceivable department of cricket, even the less popular departments, such as the Nightwatchy department. So, look, there's a long way to go, but uh, to say that we haven't enjoyed it, Pat, is uh, is, is mistaken. <laughs> it's demonstrably untrue. Um, speaking of someone who's no doubt enjoyed it, and he's warned me, Chris, that this is a very long version this is a very long tape folks so wherever you are just grab yourself a drink and have a seat and settle in would you um because here we go this is alexander spinks our aussie correspondent um with his recap on that test some things in life are bad they can really make you mad other things just make you swear and curse when you're chewing on life's gristle, that grumble, give a whistle. And this'll help things turn out for the best. Aye. Bowled in! There it is! The Australians up! They retain the ashes on the back of a hometown hero, destroying England at innings and 14 runs, 3-0. Dominance! From the home side. <laughs> did, did, did you see them try and bat for a second time on day two? <laughs> and they bottled it. <laughs> and, and, and they burned their night watchman almost straight away. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <coughs> Uh, uh, yes, uh, that's right everyone. The only one of these two teams to win a test match on these shores in over a decade has, would you look at that, won another test match on these shores and has retained the Ashes. There is such an inevitability to this funeral march of an Ashes tour, I feel like it can only be summed up with this seminal piece of oratory brilliance. Bring out your dead! Here's one! Ninepence. I'm not dead! What? Nothing. Here's your ninepence. I'm not dead! Here. He says he's not dead. Yes, he is. I'm not! He isn't? Well, he will be soon. He's very ill. I'm getting better! No, you're not. You'll be stone dead in a moment. I don't know about you, but it feels particularly special using Monty Python to taunt the English. God knows Monty Python liked doing it. There really is something silly about looking at the numbers for this test match. Some say his. Sorry, I'm going to jump in there just really quickly, Spixy, mm. and say Chris, that's uh, two wonderful uses of Monty Python back yeah. to back there from Spixy. Just sensational stuff. Really upped his audio game. Both both of our correspondents in this test have really gone hard on the audio, and I'm really enjoying it. Yep, it's sweet. He's hit the sweet spots that they're uh, straight out of the middle for run. <laughs> back to Spixy talking to us about some numbers records from over a hundred years ago, one might prefer to call it silly, laugh it off, and repress that sadness so forcefully that it eventually results in a very good stand-up comedy career. I look forward to crossing paths with Joe Root on the comedy circuit. Joe has had a magical year in regards to his own batting, a best ever year in terms of personal runs scored, and the third highest of all time. And... Yeah, that's as far as the positives go. Um, England seemed to have equaled the very worst of Bangladeshi cricket in the early 2000s by totalling nine test defeats in the one calendar year, and they also equaled their own personal best and world record set in 1998 of 54 ducks scored in the year. But these are all too recent. The real fun comes from over a century ago. England's 68 all-out in the final innings is their fourth lowest total this millennium and their lowest all-out score in Australia since 1904 when the great Victor Trumper bashed the English bowlers around the MCG, and the greats of Tibby Cotter and Captain Monty Noble ripped through the English batsmen with the ball as if the entire batting lineup was Joss Butler just before a tea break. <laughs> Australia's 82-run lead is the third lowest ever lead gained by a team that then went on to win by an innings. Because it bloody well should be. That's embarrassing. Australia's 267 runs is now the lowest score conceded by an English team losing by an innings. The previous record was 284, which occurred in Sydney in 1895. Other wow. records broken include my loudest laugh at the fall of a wicket when Jack Leach just decided it wasn't worth staying in as night watchman on the evening of day two, the most surprising top scorer of all time in Marcus Harris, 
and also the saddest sight I've seen on a cricket field, as Joe Root, as always this year, was left alone in the centre of the mm. ground while his batting partner oh. just buggered off back to the pavilion for five minutes. Hold up five there, test matches. Um, that was pretty poor, wasn't it, Chris? I felt really sorry for Joe Root at the end of that test. When yeah. Everybody just ran away and, and left him yeah. to answer all of the, the inquisitions from obeying British press and a sympathetic, if slightly giggly, Australian press. You know, yeah. tough for him. I mean, that's and that's the biggest indictment because, as we said, there's many layers of this thing. There's a lot of stuff which has been outside the control of the players, which, you know, whether it's a COVID bubble, whether it's the scheduling of county cricket in, in order to adequately prepare them for a test match away from home. Uh, you know, Ricky Ponting has, has called for the use of the kookaburra and the flattening of English pitches to help them out. You know, all of those things are beyond the control of, of the players. However, supporting your captain and mm. standing behind him, and not even supporting your captain, but supporting the guy who has really been the only one to stand up and perform yeah. is well within your control, not only as a player, but as a person. And so to bugger off, um, you know, whilst the Aussies are doing the celebration and as you say, um, Joe Root's kept <coughs> copying the Inquisition. I think what we learned there, you know, is that this thing is not Joe Root's fault. You know, there's, I, that's one thing that I think has changed over the, over the last sort of two and a half, three days is where as previously people have been saying, look, Joe Root's not a great captain. People aren't leading Joe Root. You know, people aren't following Joe Root, blah, blah, blah. You know, there needs to be a change made there. That may well be true, but the 10 guys that are behind him aren't doing their job. Yeah. You know, that's... And, and, and he hasn't... So, it's not so much that he has been a bad leader. I think what we saw there is he perhaps he just hasn't had much to lead. Um, you know, and, and not only in terms of performance, but in terms of personality as well. I, I think that that was really poor. I, I agree, mate. I agree. And and on the other side of the coin, Chris, since we are talking about Australia, you know, this whole test series so far, we've been chatting about Marcus Harris and does he have mm. the chops to be able to make it at the top flight and will he show us what he yeah. can do? And, you know, we said that if he was going to make runs anywhere, he was going to make them here at the MCG and he did get the top score for the whole game. In fact, he outscored England um, in yes, that second <laughs> um, So I guess I wanted to know, Chris, were you impressed by that? Do you think that shows us enough to keep him in the role? Um, what, do you, what, what was your thoughts coming out of watching Harris bat? Yeah, look, I think contextually, at the end of the game, you kind of walk away and go, geez, you know, that 76 was actually pretty impressive. Um, so, absolutely, I don't have an issue with picking him for for Sydney. I think he certainly earned himself another game and, and another opportunity, which I think is all you can ask. Um, it would have been great if he had have gone on to get 100. I think that really was just would have absolutely you know put the boot into any doubters so he, he has mm. left the door slightly ajar um but having said that you know in the context of the game the next highest score in the australian innings was 38 um yeah. you know and the next highest score in the game i think was joe Root's 50 so he's outscored everyone by quite a way and and shown a lot of uh, patience and, and, and uh, a good temperament along the way. So I think we should be, you know, well satisfied with Marcus Harris's performance and uh, and certainly deserving of of another game. Uh, absolutely. Can I just throw something at you, which is, I thought was really fun, Chris? I want you to guess if you've got Cricket Info open. I want you to close the window or change the tab, and I want you to guess for me, Chris, which mm. Australian batter has scored 117 runs with at an average of 58.5 in this series. Uh, gee, um, I'm going to say Mitchell Stark. Correct, Chris Barty. Correct. Ding, 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 ding. Mitchell Stark. <laughs> In this series, Mitchell Stark is sitting just behind Steve Smith, who's got 117 runs for the series. Smith has 127. Uh, Mitch has got a high score of 39 not. And, and mate, like, I mean, you got to love that, Chris. you got to yeah. love that to see a bowler. It. I mean, he was under so much pressure, Starkey, when he came into this, and his bowling has been sensational. It's been the best we've ever seen him bowl. He's learnt a new ball, which has been devastating. Yeah. Um, and he's been performing with the bat. I mean, it's a wonderful performance from a bloke who was so maligned, particularly by Shane Warne, going into the series. Um, and I think we just need to deserve... actually put a post on our Facebook page the other day about it. Um, you know, he's really been a standout performer this series, Starkey, and deserves a lot of credit. 
Yeah, absolutely. Look, and you could certainly argue, I mean, we won't really ever know because England's second innings batting performance was so poor. But at tea time on day two, Australia was six for 200. And when Stark came into bat, Australia was eight for 219. Uh, you know, so if it was six for 200, that's a lead of 15. So if the England bowlers on that wicket can... Um, take those four wickets relatively quickly and as we said earlier somehow restrict Australia to you know a lead of 50 or below which is reasonable to expect given you know how spicy that pitch was you know this is a completely different game I think psychologically for for England you know all they have to Mm. do is is put 150 150 on the on in terms of a lead and uh all of a sudden we've got ourselves a game we've got ourselves a tricky little chase on a difficult pitch yeah you know for a team that aside from marcus harris really didn't bat all that well um in you know difficult conditions but mitchell stark with his batting performance and also pat cummins you know really took the game away from england in that period of time you know, there's a, there's about a 10-over period from the point in time in which Australia was 6 for 200 to when they finally finished the innings at 6 for 267. And those 67 runs, um, yeah. for me, were the critical difference and what facilitated an innings victory. Uh, so his contribution, Mitch Stark, not only with the ball, but with the bat, I think can't be understated. This is potentially his finest hour in international cricket, I think. Big call, but I love it. Back to Spinks. He convert his support to the cricket team that makes him cry less. Now, all this kicking England while they're down is very fun. But it's not to take away from how deep and talented the Australian bowling stocks are. Now that James Pattinson has been duct taped together for the last time, Australian selectors have finally started looking at the good and consistent bowlers plying their trade in the Sheffield Shield, and they were shocked to see we have some bloody good cricketers that don't need surgery every time the wind changes. Jai Richardson, Michael Neeser and Scott Boland, you all now know. And Jai is the only one there who averages below 22 with the ball. But Neeser and Boland hover around that 25 runs per wicket mark. The other Sheffield Shield vets that hang around with them include, but are not limited to, Chad Sayers, Mark Steckety, Jack Wildermuth, and my boy Trent Copeland. One day, Trent. One day they will all see you how I see He's you. on the commentary team, Spinksy. You are beautiful. <laughs> Give it up! Uh, and of that crew, Richardson, Wildermuth, and Steckety are well under 30 years old and will be very handy once this current group of pace bowling maestros start borrowing James Pattinson's subscription to duct tape and a prayer weekly. Well, here's to the selection headaches surrounding the Australian bowlers going forward, and here's to a better new year than the last two. One can dream, can't one? Later, Gators. Always look on the bright side of life. Thank you very much, Spinksy. Love your work, pal. And um, just a sensational use of Monty Python. You know, I'm just going to fade it out real gently here, Chris. Um, Mate, it is very pleasing to know how good our bowling depth is. I do love that for us. And I wanted to talk to you, Chris, about a selection shock. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, here we are. So we come out of... um, We come out... just before oh, we begin, is it is it, um, uh, is it a masochist or a, a masochist is someone that enjoys play, uh, pain that they that's do right. pain for pleasure? That's right. That's right, isn't it? All right. Yeah. Because I tell you what, I've enjoyed selection shocks so much this summer. I know, right? Me too. You know, just you know, attach those little electric cords to whatever part of my body you want, because I think I'm about to enjoy this, but. Juice um, me up, baby. Juice me up. Because you've got to say, <laughs> <laughs> the last two selection shocks have worked out, right? Um, Jai Richardson and Nisa coming in. Did a wonderful job in Adelaide. Send bloody sensational. Jai and Nisa pull up a little bit sore. Scotty Boland comes in, takes six for seven. Give the man a statue. Hashtag give the man a statue. Incredible. Um, routes the palms in two and a half days. And now, Chris, we're left in this position where we've neglected to mention this for 43 minutes of this podcast, but mm. we've already won the Ashes now. We've we yes. won them three zip. Thank you very much. Um, so, looking forward, B-Train, we've got tours of Pakistan in yeah. Pakistan and yep. Sri Lanka in Sri Lanka. Now, you think back, B-Train, you may remember the last time we went to Sri Lanka, we got freaking rolled. And last time we played Pakistan overseas, we had a very, 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 very tough time. Yeah, I think we got beaten, didn't we? 
We certainly did, Chris. We certainly yeah. did. Uzi managed to tie that one test, but I think we ended up losing 1-0. Um, point of my That's story right. is the time for Schwepson is near at hand. Mm-hmm. The time for Mitchell Schwepson to come mm-hmm. into this side is near at hand. Now, Chris, two options here, both alike in dignity. Fair Verona, where we lay our scene. In fact, Fair Randwick, where we lay our scene, the home of the SCG. <laughs> yeah. um, option number uno, spin twins. Cameron Green's bowling seam up. He's bowling like an absolute gun. Anyway, we mm-hmm. play Stark, we play Cummins, we play Cameron Green. And as you said last week, we go for Lino and we go for Schwepson, right? Yeah. Option A. Sure. Option B, we rest Nathan Lyon and debut the Schwep. And Ooh. yeah, I know. I tell you who doesn't like that plan. I tell you who doesn't like that plan. Who doesn't like that Nathan, plan, Chris? Nathan Lyon doesn't like yeah, that Yeah, Nathan Lyon doesn't like that plan. Nathan Lyon does not like that plan. And look, like that's a kind of a crazy thing to do, I think. It's kind sure. of crazier than the other way. But we, we're in a tough... The selectors are in a tough spot, right? Because mm-hmm. Josh Hazelwood is now fit and ready to come back into the side or will be by the time the test starts. Um, Scotty Boland has just taken a world-breaking six for seven and looked like and literally destroyed the Poms almost single-handedly. Jai Richardson is coming back off the back of a Pfeiffer um, and, you know, Nisa bowled incredibly well. There's literally four guys who need to come into this side somehow. Mm-hmm. So maybe the solution is don't pick any of them. Give the Schwepp a run um, and uh, take it from there. And maybe we can, you know, rest a couple more bowlers when we go to Tassie um, and, you know, rely on our backup seamers to, to do the whole job because they're bloody incredible. What are your thoughts, B-Chain? What do you think? Yeah, look, I think there's some good thoughts there, Pat. I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I think you're right in that the time for the Schwepp is is close at hand. We're going to need uh, a second spin bowling option for the subcontinent. There's no doubt about that. Um, just to point out, though, and, and this is going left field, the top wicket taker in the Sheffield Shield this season so far is a slow left armour by the name of Matthew Kuhneman. Huh. Yeah. Uh, 10 innings, 25 wickets, an average of 25.56. Mm. So, that's interesting. And he's 25. So, there's a bit of time for, for Kuhneman. And, um, you know, he's got to obviously continue to put some uh, scores on the board or take I some I mean, whack him on lay-by, Chris. I'm, I'm happy to put Kuhnerman on lay-by, see if sure, he can turn the sure. season. I'm just, just, just Please putting, a, putting a name out there so we can get onto it Don't nice and Don't you try and top my selection shock with your own selection <laughs> shock, butter? Don't you come in here and seeing me do a selection shock and think, I'll just up you and give you some random 25-year-old tweaker just yeah. taking tolls. I'm just, <laughs> What's happening I'm, here? No, I was just thinking, because while you were talking, I was just thinking, I wonder who who are the best performing spinners this summer in yeah. the Shield. And there he is, Kuhneman. Not only the best performed spinner, but uh, the best performed bowler uh, in uh, in the Shield this season. So, so far, mm. he's got 29 wickets over mm. eight first-class matches, an average of just over 30, which right. isn't bad. Yeah. Pretty good. So just a just a name there, Pat, to keep in mind. Uh, but in terms of the makeup of the team for Sydney, let's deal with that first. I think Thank the first you. question Thank is: you. Is Hazelwood fit? Uh, if Hazelwood is fit, then I think you just go with your Stark, Hazelwood, and Cummins with Lyon playing the role of spinner. And what you might do is you might bowl Marnus a little bit more frequently. We have plenty of spin bowling options amongst that top six, and plenty, plenty of part-time options, whether it's Steve Smith, um, Marnus Labashane, Travis Head can bowl. Even Davey. Davey bowls a bit of leg spin. Pretty much everyone bar Marcus Harris down the line. Marcus Harris and Travis Head bowls a little bit. And I think everyone bowls leg spin. Um, or, Travis or bowls off breaks. Finger spin, finger spin you're, you're yeah. quite right. Quite right. So he's quite good too, Trav. He's got a whole bunch of wickets. Yeah, he's, he's more than handy, more than handy for South Australia. So there's a couple of options there. So that's to me that that's option one. Is Hazelwood fit? Then you start to diverge a little bit if Hazelwood isn't fit. Now if Hazelwood isn't fit for the SCG test, I think um, I, I personally think Jai Richardson is probably still ahead of Scott Boland in the in the backup stakes. That's uh, true, for, Chris. The, the pacement. However, I don't think you can drop a guy after he takes six or seven. So I think 
what they would probably do is go with momentum because I did hear Pat come and say that they had eyeballed uh, Scotty Boland not only for the MCG test but potentially for the SCG as well. So I think he may play. Uh, so that's that's probably the way that they would go for option two. Um, however, should they want to go down the, the route of picking a second spinner? We've talked already about Green becoming the third seamer and then playing the spin twins being Lyon and Swepson. I think for me that's the preferred option. I think that's probably what we'll end up seeing in the subcontinent. But I was thinking about it this morning and another option, Pat, another option if we wanted to include a spinner would be potentially, now stay with me here. Oh boy. We're going to, we're going to drop Cameron Green. Right. What are you in, talking about? Keep going. In, in, in the subcontinent, in the subcontinent only because um, prolific batsman at, in, in shield, at shield, shield level that he is, he's made some great runs, first class average of 50. You know, you know, I'm a staunch advocate. Staunch advocate. I've he went to a, a high school, Chris. He went to he, a high he, school. He did. Keep going. He did. Um, and certainly performed better there than I did. Um, <laughs> than a lot of people. Performed better than a lot of people. And he's a great batsman. And and I've staunchly defended him when, when those in the uh, cricketing sphere have said, look, his batting's not scratched about six. It definitely is. However, subcontinent wickets are a different thing. So what I'm wondering is, could we... If we wanted to play another spinner, could we pick three seamers? Three seamers, Pat. And Nathan Lyon. And could you bat Ashton Agar at seven? Could you do it? Chris, this is a hog wild choice. This is nuts. I mean, yes, you could do it. But uh, yes, you could do it. I mean, you can do anything. You know, you can walk down the road and take a poop in the middle of the street, Chris. If you want to do that, you can do that. You know, you might not even get run over. But it's not a good idea, Bardo. It's not necessarily a good idea. Ashton Agar, don't get me wrong. Agar, great player, right? Incredible player. But he's getting old now, Chris. He's, into he's 28, Pat. He's oh. 28. All right, he's 28. But I think at the very least, he's behind in the pecking order, Bardo de Schweppes. Sure, sure. I don't, no, 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 I, I'm, I'm with you, I'm with you. And honestly, um, mate, his red ball isn't that great. He's great on the white ball, but his red ball isn't that great. All right. Now, here's where, here's where we, we may disagree a little bit, a little bit. So, Ashton Agar's test batting average uh, is 32. Not bad. But What's his bowling bad. average, Chris? It's all high. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> it's a little high. Well, when you say a little high, Chris, what are you, what are you saying? It's, what are you it's 45. Um, uh, yeah, 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 right. <laughs> it's okay. a little high. Great. Yeah, uh, yeah, now, yeah. That is a on, touch high. <laughs> now, his first class bowling average is uh, 41. Okay, right. That's a little bit high. Yep. Yep. Um, Chris. Yep. I, yep. This is unraveling. But... <laughs> His first class batting average is 28 with three centuries and 1150s. So, guy can bat. Guy can bat. Um, if Do we you know that David Warner averages 39.5 in list A cricket with the ball? Wow. Didn't know that. Well, so, yeah. Okay. yeah but right. I, anyway, I, look, there's a, reason, there's a reason they call it a selection shock. <laughs> and I was just thinking this morning about what, what some other options in the subcontinent may be. Minus uh, Labuschagne averages 43 with the ball in tests. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's pretty good. He's so, a good bowler. He's a, he's good, a good bowler. bowler. He's a good bowler. Yeah. But yeah. listen, Chris, here's, just to get back to reality, back to life, back to reality for sure. a mere moment here, we've got to think about the future, right? Because our dear friend, Nathan Gary Lyon, who has been an incredible servant of Australian cricket, who's the guy, yeah. is 34. So we've sure. probably got about three three, maybe four years in him to go. The goat. Well, if Warren played till he was... 37. 37. Yeah. And so, Jimmy Anderson's 40. So let's say let's say three years. Yeah. So in that three years, we need to blood another spinner. We need to get mm-hmm. him in, Chris, and we need to get him comfortable. And I think blooding Smith Schwepson at the SCG is going to be a lot more of a friendly thing to do and give him some confidence, get him on the field and around the guys before he finds himself on an absolute Bunsen burner over in the subcontinent um, in hot and sticky conditions and having to bowl in tandem with Nathan Lyon with no experience doing that. 
Um, he's a very attacking leggy yeah. and the two of them need to learn to work together. And I think this is a good opportunity to do that. Obviously, Chris, only if the pitch suits and if we have the other seam is to support it. Um, yeah, that's look, absolutely. My, that's my look, and I, I think you'll find that you'll, you've got a lot of supporters there, Pat, in terms of, you know, now is the time to play Schwepson. Um, I don't disagree. I wouldn't mind it at all. You know, I've, I've advocated for that lineup uh, before. And I think it's a good one, particularly with the subcontinent tours coming up, particularly if you're playing some dead rubbers. And maybe it might make the games more competitive and make it pretty interesting. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. I'm a little bit wary about, you know, giving guys baggy greens for the sake of it. Uh, we've done yeah, that completely. before, you know, for, for experiment's sake. Um, you know, but you certainly can. We've shown that if the other if the other players are performing, that we can carry some younger players while they develop. Mm. So I'm on the fence, but I I, I think you know as, as I said, I've advocated for it before. Just to give you some some figures here, Pat. You know, Mitch Webson's played you know 49 first class games at 153 wickets at an average of 33. Yeah, and in the last season, Chris, he's averaged 25. Um, yeah okay well there you go so, so maybe the time is now I think it's a good time to do it but but it does depend on conditions right and the other thing is Chris we can't take the foot off the throat you know we've rolled the palms here in Melbourne yeah. we've won the ashes back but I think if they get away with anything you know if it's not 5-0 then we've kind of failed because this English team is so bad we have a moral obligation to grind them into the dirt Chris um, yeah. To just to really fucking rinse them, we have a moral and ethical obligation. <laughs> yes, look, we do. To utterly roll them. <laughs> sure, and that's the only way to send a message. I think you know it's the only way. The worse this gets, the more imperative there is for England to do something. You know about mm. what uh, what they want to do. Um, just for reference, you said that um, Ashnago was old. Uh, he's the same age as Mitchell Swepson, so. Just letting you know. I take that comment back, Chris. I take it back. <laughs> I was wrong. He's not old, but he averages about the same as mine. It's Labashane with the ball in tests. Yeah, look, I'll give you that. As I said, yeah. it was a wild theory. I just said it's it a was wild a, theory, Chris. It, it's a wild it theory. A, it was a shock. <laughs> <laughs> he is younger than I thought. I mean, that just, yeah. he did debut hey, at 19, of course. Time. So that, yeah, that look, probably is. We learn about uh, Matthew Kuhneman, you know? Hey, that's worthwhile, Chris. Everybody, keep your eyes out on Kuhneman. Um, Chris, we're coming to the end here. So, big man, just quickly give me a quick prediction. How do you think this SCG test is going to go down? Look, I'm not even going to tell you who's going to win. I'm just going to say that my prediction is, is that it's going to go into the fourth day. Oh, yeah. Good. Good. good, good. Um, I'm going to stick with what I've been doing so far, which has been working really well, which is, Chris, we're going to roll them. We're going to absolutely rock and roll them. I've been right twice in a row. I'm betting on three times, baby. Third time's the charm. We're going to roll them, Chris. The fear's in their eyes. The sadness is in their eyes. And their coach is stuck in quarantine. If they can get anything other than completely rolled over here, I'll be very impressed. You know who you remind me of, Pat, is that guy who's always a big tough man when he's friends with the biggest kid in school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Chris, are you familiar with me? That's exactly who I am. You're like Iago, you know? <laughs> wow. Shakespeare's only true villain. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks no, no, Chris. I was, I, I was wow. sorry. I, I was you you are like... the embodiment of evil in Shakespearean terms. Thanks. Thanks, Bardo. Good to be friends with you too. I, I was more thinking the parrot from Aladdin, but I actually, don't, I don't really know that movie that well, other than he's friends with Jafar, who's the big baddie, you know, the big strong tough man, and he's just a chirpy parrot. That's that's all I've got. But yeah. Uh, but if you want to be Shakespeare's all-time villain, I look, I don't know Shakespeare that well. I have to confess, I, you know. Well, yeah, I think I'm going to take the parrot over it. Iago, the uh, Shakespearean character, Chris. I'll have that. He has some very funny one-liners. So if I can be as funny as okay. that parrot, I'll absolutely take that, sure. my friend. A delight, a joy. I will chat to you around January 6th um, to wrap up the New Year's test, my friend. And I hope you have a lovely New Year's. I'm flying out to Queensland tomorrow to be in a pool sipping Mai Tais. Big hey. Train. Hey. Good for you, man. Thanks, big man. I will see you in the new year. You have a good one. You too, pal. See ya. Go with those Aussies! Go with those Aussies! Go!
Two for None is created and presented by Patrick Cullen and Chris Barty. Big thanks to Tom Hawkey, Alex Spinks, and Chris Barty for joining me on the show. Things Can Only Get Better was by Dream, Reservoir Music 1993, and other clips from Monty Python, BBC 1975. All clips and music used in conjunction with our APRA AMCOS online mini license, OL2028. Hey, make sure you check out our Facebook page and email us anytime at gingersnapsydney at gmail.com. Especially you, West Indies cricket fans. Two for None is produced by Ginger Snap Productions. Check out our other show, The Isocast, and your podcatcher. And make sure you like, rate, review, and subscribe to all our podcasts. Tell a cricket fan about this show. We'll be back around January 6 to wrap up the SCG test and the South Africa versus India series. In the meantime, go those Aussies. Go! Go!